Good morning, church. It's a privilege for me to get to be with you today, and I'm thrilled to have the youth down front and to know what God has been doing in your hearts and lives this weekend. And I was just reflecting, there are two things that happened when I was your age that radically changed my trajectory of my life. One of those, uh, when I was in the eighth grade, a science teacher got me introduced to collecting Indian artifacts, arrowheads, and uh, we found a sack full in a day, and I got addicted, and I spent hours and hours and hours through high school out in the fields just looking for arrowheads. Well, it's just me and God out here, and I wound up talking to him about everything. Uh, problems and decisions and relationships and there were times I just praised him for the beauty of the world he'd created and I look back and I realize it was during those hours that God cultivated an intimate personal love relationship with me through prayer. When I was in the ninth grade we went to Ridgecrest Conference Center in North Carolina and my teacher that year um, challenged us to read our Bible every day. And I was a preacher's kid, but I had never been really challenged to do that. And I just sensed that that was a challenge I was going to take. And went to the Baptist bookstore and bought a new Bible and uh, began to read every day and throughout high school. I don't know that there were very many days that I missed being in God's Word. And those two things, being in God's Word and talking to the Lord about everything, radically changed my life. And I encourage you as you take, take this path toward discipleship that you'll do similar things. Spend time with your Heavenly Father and He's the one who will change your life. I want to be uh, share with you today a message about becoming a house of prayer. If you have your uh, sermon notes or your Bible, if you'll turn with me to Isaiah chapter 56. I want us to look at the passage where God tells us that it is his desire for us to be a house of prayer for the nations. In Isaiah 56, this is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand, and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, the man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let not any eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, who hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, to serve him, to love the name of the Lord, and to worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to my covenant, 
These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just heard your words. Your desire is that your house, your people, would be a house of prayer for the nations. Lord, you're the one that sacrificed and sent your own son to be the sacrifice so that uh, you could purchase for yourself men and women, that you'd adopt us and uh, forgive us of our sins and make us a part of the body of Christ for our day. And Lord, you have a love and a heart for the nations. It's not your desire that any perish, but that all come to repentance. And uh, Lord, we need to, need to, and we want to become that kind of people. And so Lord, I pray that today you'll speak to us and um, call us to be all that you'd like for us to be, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to take just uh, very quickly to review this passage of scripture with you and help you to see what a house of prayer looks like. <clears throat> First of all, a house of prayer is a place where God's people keep his covenant and they do what's right. In verses one through six, we see words like this. They maintain justice and they do what's right. Uh, they hold fast to his covenant. They keep the Sabbath. They keep their hand from doing any evil. Uh, they have bound themselves to the Lord. They choose what pleases God. They hold fast to his covenant. And uh, that's a description of people who are a people of prayer, a house of prayer. It's also a place where God's people love and worship and serve the Lord. The end of verse 6 says that um, these are people who bind themselves to the Lord. They serve the Lord. They love the name of the Lord. They worship him. They keep the Sabbath without desecrating it. And they hold fast to his covenant. When God's got a people that are rightly related to him in prayer, and by the way, Prayer is not just a religious activity you check off your to-do list. Prayer is a relationship with the creator of the universe. Prayer is a relationship with your heavenly father. And when Paul said pray without ceasing, it's not that you've got to verbalize prayers all the time. It's there's this relationship you have with your heavenly father and you need to live in the reality of that relationship all the time. And so uh, that's what a house of prayer is. People love and worship and serve the Lord. It's also a place of God-given joy. We see in verse 7, God says, I will bring them to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Uh, it may be different here in this church, but a lot of churches I go to, a lot of my ministry has been church health. 
And uh, the reason it's been about church health is that there are a lot of unhealthy churches that need help. And um, the sad thing is that for many churches, joy would not be a word to describe their experiences. And when God's got a people rightly related to him, joy is a testimony of what's happening there. Uh, It's also a place where offerings and sacrifices are acceptable. We see that in verse 7 where it says um, uh, the burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. Now we don't do burnt offerings and sacrifices anymore but when we bring our offerings, our tithes to the Lord, when we sacrifice the sacrifice of praise, the reality is even our worship is a sacrifice to the Lord. It's an offering to the Lord. And those things need to be acceptable to the Lord. You remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, if you bring your gift to the altar and there you remember that you've got something against your brother, your brother has something against you, you've offended your brother, don't give your offering, go be reconciled to your brother. Then you can come and present your offering. Um, Our offerings and sacrifices require that we be right with one another, and so when When our offerings and sacrifices are acceptable to the Lord, that indicates that we've got reconciled relationships. Jesus also said, when you stand praying, and there you remember that you have something against your brother. In this case, he or she's the one that offended you. Jesus said, forgive him. In this case, you don't have to go do anything. Just forgive. Let it go. Don't hold on to the offense. And essentially, Jesus was saying, if you're praying and you realize that you're holding on to bitterness or unforgiveness because of someone who's offended you, don't bother praying until you forgive. We need to let go of those things. And so uh, for our offerings and sacrifices to be acceptable, it would be an indicator that we have right relationships with one another. And uh, we're right with the Lord. We're right with one another, and uh, that's where the joy comes from. A house of prayer is also a place where God's people have a love like God's for the nations. When, uh, When you get close to God in an intimate prayer relationship, you start caring about the things God cares about. And God cares about a lost world out there. Uh, so much that he sent his own son to lay down his life on the cross to provide for the salvation of that lost world. And uh, when we get close to God in prayer and and we're uh, seeking to pray according to his will, he's going to put the nations on our heart. And we're going to care about the people that are around us who need to know the Lord and uh, we're going to care about that. Uh, It's also a place where God gathers the exiles of his people back to himself. And in verse 8, the sovereign Lord declares he gathers the exiles of Israel. Now, exiles are people who are God's people, but they've been carried off into captivity or exile, 
And, uh, and when God has a people of prayer, he starts bringing the exiles back. Now, when I think about church health, that's what I think God's wanting to do. When people get away from the Lord spiritually, when God's got a people that are rightly related to him in prayer, it's really natural for the people who've gotten away from the Lord to start coming back. And um, God wants his people to be intimate with him, but that's not enough. In fact, that's revival, and that's what uh, we're seeing begin to stir in places around our country. And we're, many have been praying for revival that would result in a spiritual awakening in our nation. The truth is America's only hope for a future is that we would see a spiritual awakening, but it begins with the revival of God's people. And we need to pray toward that end. Uh, and then the, the final thing is it's an, also a place where God gathers a lost world to himself in the latter part of verse 8. I'll gather still others to them besides those already gathered. When God's got a house of prayer for the nations and they love the nations and they love the things God loves and they're right with God and they're right with one another they will be filled with his Holy Spirit and have power in their witness and it would be very natural to see people come into faith uh, in fact it may be a good indicator that you all are baptizing people every week that's an indicator that God's up to something in this place and that ought to be an encouragement to you don't rest on that keep doing what you're doing and watch to see the way God may do some things if I were to give a definition for a house of prayer it would sound like this it's a prayer saturated church where kingdom focused prayer is such a priority that it permeates everything they do uh, that's what a house of prayer looks like. I had the privilege of going and speaking to a little church about prayer on a Wednesday night. The Women's Missionary Union asked me to come and speak. And uh, I did a little research and I found out this church had run 50 for 50 years. They would add some and run some off and add some and run some off. And for 50 years, they'd been running about 50 people and I had about 25 on that Wednesday night to speak to them about prayer. And so I, I spoke on the, uh, a topic probably much like this one. And, um, and then at the end of the time, I had about two hours with them. At the end of that time, I said, uh, I wonder, why don't you all share with each other what has God said to you tonight? Because you all need to hear what God may be saying to the body. And uh, several people shared. And then the pastor was over to my right, bivocational pastor, school teacher. And, and he stood up and he turned to the congregation. He said, folks, God convicted me tonight that I'm not a man of prayer. And I haven't led you to be a people of prayer. And I need to ask you to forgive me. Well, um, he sat back down and I said, folks, your pastor's just confessed what for a spiritual leader is a serious sin. But he's asked for your forgiveness. Are you all willing to forgive your pastor? And they nodded. And so I guided them to express their forgiveness to their pastor. And then I said, um, 
Let me ask you, how many of you, as you've been listening tonight, God convicted you that you're not a person of prayer and you haven't contributed to this church being a house of prayer? And everybody raised their hands. I said, is prayerlessness a sin? They nodded and I said, do you realize that what you've just done, you've confessed your corporate sin as a church for your prayerlessness. Would you all like to get that right with God tonight? They nodded. I guided them to repent, confess their sin to God and to one another to repent of that and pledge themselves to become a people of prayer. And uh, after they did that, I said, uh, what's the fruit of repentance for prayerlessness? And they said, prayer? I said, that's it. <laughs> Let's pray. And I said, got them in groups and just said, I want you to spend some time responding to the Lord. When God's finished and you finish praying, you're dismissed. And uh, around that room, people were weeping as they responded to the Lord. Uh, a couple months later, I heard that this bivocational pastor resigned, and I don't know all of the details about that, but um, that summer they asked me to come and speak to a cookout for the deacons and their wives, and I went, and, and the chairman of uh, the deacons said, spoke to me, and he said, Claude, we're not the same church we were when you were with us before. We took that prayer thing seriously, and we started praying. We started we made our Wednesday night a real prayer meeting and not just a Bible study. And he said, uh, we started praying in our worship services and in our small groups. And when our pastor resigned, we started meeting every Friday night to pray that God would call us a new pastor. And he's called us one. He's going to be here tonight. And he told me his name, and I knew that guy was a man of prayer. And so I spoke to him that night, and I said, I don't know what God's about to do, but I said, from what I've heard, you all are becoming a house of prayer like God wants you to be. And now God's calling you a pastor who's a man of prayer. I said, that's like lighting a stick of dynamite. Something's going to happen. And um, I finished up that evening. Uh, that fall, I was in a prayer meeting. I'd been praying with pastors across denominational lines in Rutherford County. And that particular day, only one pastor showed up. He was the Methodist pastor from Las Casas, Tennessee. And he said, uh, Claude, have you heard about the Walter Hill Revival? And I said, no, I hadn't heard about it. He said, uh, something's happening at that little Baptist church over there. He said, uh, people are getting saved and people are coming back that are getting right with the Lord. And he said, uh, uh, we're, we're praying that it'll spread to the church, Las Casas to the Methodist church over here. And, and um, so I called the pastor up and I said, uh, tell me what's going on. He said, Claude, the church was running 50 when I came. We're running 175 now. And what was happening, they had all these members who'd gotten out of fellowship with the Lord. They started coming back. And he said, we baptized six last Sunday. People were getting saved. They started a project, a, a, a partnership with Guatemala because they had a heart like God's for the nations. And, and uh, they began to grow and reach people. Um, they reached over 50 young adult couples that came to Christ during that season. Uh, I went back at one time. They had to build a new building, and they had 300 for worship at that time. 
I saw what God can do when a people become a house of prayer. But there are, uh, there's some dangers. What would be the danger of not being a house of prayer? I want you to turn with me, or if you'd like to just listen, listen to Luke 19. As Jesus approached the city of Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side and will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem because he knew that the day was coming when a Roman army would build an embankment against that city and destroy the city and destroy everything the Jewish people held dear. And he wept. Because uh, he had come to lead what should have been the greatest revival in all of history because God himself came to lead the revival and God's people, these were God's people, these weren't pagans, these were God's people, they did not recognize the time of God's coming to them and they had rejected Jesus, they had rejected his message And in a few days, they were going to kill him on a cross. And he wept because he knew that God would bring righteous judgment on the nation because of their sin. Well, uh, what was the deal going on there? How is it possible that God's people, and is it possible for us as God's people to become so disoriented to God that when God himself shows up, and speaks, we reject him and reject his message. Well, Jesus walked into the temple courts and he began driving out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. The problem for God's people is that they were supposed to be a people of prayer. And if they had had the right kind of intimate, personal relationship with their God, if they'd had that kind of relationship with him, they would not have been disoriented to him. And Jesus uh, said, my house will be a house of prayer. He was quoting from Isaiah 56 that we've read earlier. That's what his people are supposed to be, and they weren't that. He said, you've become a den of thieves. Now, when I was in Sunday school, they told me that what was going on is that uh, um, the Jewish people would come in for the festival in Jerusalem, and they'd have to have animals for sacrifice, and they had to have Jewish shekel for the temple tax, and so... 
they were uh, getting ripped off by these people selling animals in the temple courts and and they were being overcharged for the animals and the exchange rate for their foreign currency into the Hebrew shekel was inflated and they were just getting ripped off and that may well have been happening but Jesus was also quoting from Jeremiah chapter 7 so I want to read to you God's definition of a den of thieves have you heard of this definition before I wish I had time to just do a whole message on uh, Jeremiah 7 But listen to God's definition. Will you steal and murder and commit adultery and perjury and burn incense to Baal and follow other gods that you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say we're safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I've been watching, declares the Lord. A den of thieves in Jeremiah's day was where God's people broke all the commands. (laughs) They killed and stole and they murdered. They committed adultery. They lied, committed perjury. They worshiped other gods And then they'd come to God's house and say, oh, it's okay, we're God's people. If I were to take that definition and translate it to our day, it would be uh, where God's people live pretty much like the rest of the world all week long. And they are involved in the same kind of sinful behaviors and attitudes and actions that the rest of the world is involved in, but then they come to church on Sunday and say, oh, we're okay, we're God's people. Uh, we, we prayed the prayer. Uh, we, we, we walked down the aisle, we joined the church. So the question is, are we more like the house of prayer in Isaiah 56, or are we more like the den of thieves? In Jeremiah 7. I'm afraid that um, more churches that I go to than are not look more like the den of thieves than they do a house of prayer. And if we're going to be the people God wants us to be, we need to make every effort to become a house of prayer. So uh, how does a church become a house of prayer? Let me just uh, give you some Uh, A quick outline, you see the points there so you can write in the notes if you need to. But uh, number one, we need to get right with God and with one another. Remember, that's how we have right relationships with one another and with the Lord so that uh, our offerings and sacrifices are acceptable. We are acceptable to the Lord. In the Old Testament, it would talk about the fact that because God's people sinned against the Lord, he would hide his face from his people. When, when God hides his face, he shuts down communication. He's no longer listening. He's no longer seeing. He's no longer speaking to his people. 
And when he turns his face toward us, when we seek his face, we seek to be a pleasing people to him. He, he turns his face back toward us. And, uh, and we see, he sees us, he hears us, he speaks to us, and we have fellowship with him. We need to get right with God and one another. A second thing is we need to rekindle a first love for Christ, our wounded Savior. Um, I really believe that the root problem for our relationship with God, no matter what the problems may be, it's founded in our love for him. You remember Jesus said, the first and greatest commandment is to do what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If we don't get that one right, nothing else is going to be right. And um, we need to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what? You'll keep my commandments. You'll obey me. And so uh, that love relationship needs to be uh, reconciled. Uh, A third thing we need to do is experience an intimate and personal love relationship with God in prayer. I told you about learning to, uh, to pray out in the fields, just talking with God about everything. God cultivated an intimate and a personal love relationship with me. But one of the things when I wrote Experiencing God with Henry Blackaby, one of the things we found is that there are a lot of people who've had poor experiences with an earthly father and they have a really hard time getting close to God as a heavenly father. And we need to help those people experience a healing, spiritual healing touch from the Lord to get set free from any bondage to their past and they need to experience an intimate fellowship with a heavenly father and come to realize my heavenly father loves me and they can have sweet fellowship with him. We also need to equip members to pray effectively and if you realize that that's not you, We're having a prayer boot camp this afternoon and I've been told that if you didn't sign up, you can still come. And I brought a box of some extra books just in case some of you come to learn to pray more effectively. What a prayer boot camp does, it gets people who are seasoned intercessors together with people who are wanting to learn how to pray and we're going to do some praying together. And uh, you learn to pray best by praying with people who have prayer fire in their soul. So uh, that's what we're going to do this afternoon. Uh, Fifth thing is that we need to be devoted to prayer with God's people in every setting possible. In a church setting, committees need to pray a lot, not just to start and stop. Uh, Sunday school classes or small groups, connection groups, need to pray together and for one another. Deacons need to pray. We, as God's people, need to pray with one another. The major decisions a church makes need to be bathed in prayer. We need to be devoted to prayer like the New Testament church was. We need to make prayer a primary part of our work strategy in every aspect of church life. Um, 
A seventh thing, we need to pray for one another while we're together with one another. And you might just make practice of uh, asking the question of people when you're with them, how may I pray for you? And then pray. Uh, it may be in a Sunday school class, for instance, that you uh, somebody shares a, a, a burden or something that's going on with them, and it's real easy to say, well, we'll put you on our prayer list. But a better thing would be, well, let us pray for you right now and gather around and pray for that need. Or, or somebody says, I've got wayward children and they are really uh, causing havoc. Their lives are a wreck and they need the Lord. Would you please pray for my kids to come to faith in Christ? And uh, we can put them on our list or we can pray. Let's learn to pray together. There may be somebody walking down the hall and you see the anguish in their face and the Lord's Spirit may prompt you and say, pray for that one. And you come alongside and say, you know, I just sense God wants me to pray for you. How may I pray for you? And if we can begin to pray for one another, uh, we will become more the house of prayer God intends for us to be. Tell the stories and share the testimonies of answered prayer. And finally, pray for God's assignments to a lost world, beginning at home and to the ends of the earth, and then obey his final command. Uh, when we begin to do those kinds of things, we will increasingly become the house of prayer God intends for us to be, and uh, when God's got a people like that where we are salt of the earth and light of the world and we are right with one another and empowered in our witness and we have a care and a concern for a lost world, God's got a people he can work through to accomplish his kingdom purposes and we'll see our nation change because of what God can do. We're going to have a time of invitation. I'm going to ask the pastor to kind of facilitate that. But I, it may be that as I've been sharing with you today, and maybe things God's been doing with you all this weekend or whatever, it may be that your, your response to an invitation is, I need to get right with God. It may be that some of you would just want to come and kneel at this altar and do some business with God. It may be that uh, others of you realize I need to get reconciled with my brother or sister or I need to let go and forgive. Uh, it may be that that would be your response to the Lord. Um, let's uh, take some time today to decide to be the people of prayer he wants us to be and then watch to see what God does through us to touch our world. Uh, Pastor, you want to come and, and, and guide us? I want to encourage us all to stand this morning for a moment. Appreciate Brother Claude and his message, his challenge. Uh, two things this morning in the invitation. Uh, one, if you need to give your life to Christ, we want to invite you to do that today. Jesus invited people all the time to make spiritual decisions. We want to do that in this invitation. You witnessed baptism this morning. Maybe you need to take that step. You know the Lord, but you've never been baptized as a believer in Christ. We want to encourage you to make that decision. 
joining this church family. God is at work in this church. And we'd love to have you affiliated in the part of our church family. You can come this morning too. And then when I think about students and other people in the room, God's calling people, still calling people to vocational ministry or to serve him in some way. This invitation is for you. And then our staff's going to be here. We can walk with you through any of those decisions that you want to make. And even those who continue to worship with us online, you can make those decisions as well. We'll respond to you today and uh, have a connection with you. But also our prayer team is going to be here as well on each side. And maybe you need to say what Brother Claude just said. I'm struggling in an area of my life. My marriage is struggling. My family's struggling. I just need somebody who will pray with me and for me. And this invitation is for you. Because when we sing here in just a moment, give me Jesus. He wants you to come to him. Matthew 11, all who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. And we're inviting you to come to Jesus today. Because we want you to experience him. So let's sing together this morning. Give me Jesus. And you come as we sing this song of invitation. Let's worship together.